You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. Hello, my name is Nick. I have the privilege of serving in the junior high youth ministry. And today's scripture, today's scripture will be out of the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 out of the NIV. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, and to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everybody. This is God's word. Thank you. This morning we uh, come to a very important passage in our series through the book of Titus that we've been calling a faithful presence Through these last few months, we've been exploring what it means, what it looks like to be a faithful representation of Jesus Christ in our most intimate of relationships, in and amongst the church, and out in the world. And now today, we're looking specifically at verses 5 through 7 about where we get the power to become a faithful witness. So let us pray together. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, whether you've been coming for a long time or this is your first time in church. We need to hear from God. Let us pray that we would. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not only made a way for all of us to be brought into relationship with you and to be forgiven of our sins, but also a way for us to change. You have given us power to become more and more like you. And so I ask this morning as we open your word that you would open our hearts and that we might receive and not resist the work that you want to do in us. For those who are discouraged, would you encourage them For those who are resistant, I pray that they would yield to you today. And for those who do not yet know you, I pray that today they would come to know you and that their life would be changed forever. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Well, among the many ways you could choose to frustrate an elementary school boy of eight years old, one of the most effective by far is the Suzuki method. If you don't know what the Suzuki method is, 
It is a music program created over a hundred years ago by a Japanese violinist as a way of teaching music to children. And it has been praised by countless teachers and students decade after decade. For me, however, it was death. I was told it's just as easy as following the lesson, but I simply wasn't learning. And my recollections of pounding the ivories in that cold, sterile practice room were not positive. I remember wishing that somehow, someway, Suzuki himself would resurrect and help me in person. He didn't, and in the end, I gave up piano and bought a guitar. So, take that, Suzuki. <laughs> Now, when it comes to the Christian life, many of us feel like I did trying to learn the piano. You might hear the phrase, just follow the Bible. Just follow the example of Jesus. And yet you instantly feel overwhelmed. You may even feel exhausted. If you're here this morning or joining us online, you're not yet a Christian. You may think that Christianity is all about, well, I, I see this example and these teachings in Scripture, and all I have to do is, is do it on my own. And you might think, well, that's impossible. I could never do this. And so you might come to the conclusion that, well, I, Christianity must not be for me. I guess I'm not a, a candidate. No matter what place you're coming from, We look at what the Bible calls us to, particularly in the book of Titus, this whole being a faithful presence, and we ask, how on earth can we live this out? And I'll be honest, there are certain times when even I begin to lose heart. But this is precisely where the gospel gives us hope. Because unlike Suzuki, who could never have sent me supernatural power to learn to play Beethoven, Jesus is risen. And he provides what we need to live a transformed life. Because Jesus Christ has not only left us an example, Jesus has left us a helper. And it's not an it, it's a person. And his name is the Holy Spirit. The gospel tells us that we were created by God and yet our relationship with him has been broken because of sin. But through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through his resurrection, the gap has been bridged. We can now be forgiven and accepted through faith. But we're not simply left there. And so Paul, after explaining the truth about the power of Christ's finished work for fallen humanity, Paul goes on to talk about the resource available to every Christian. All that we need to walk in holiness and effectiveness in this life is brought to us by the Spirit. And he doesn't come and go, so we don't need to fear his absence. In fact, we're told that he makes you his new home. So far in this series, we've talked about what it means, what it looks like to live a transformed life and what God has done to make it possible. But now we're talking about the power to live it specifically in verses five through seven. If last week we learned about what we are saved from and why we are saved by mercy through the work of Jesus Christ, this is now about the power to change. 
Paul's letter to this church leader on the island of Crete 2,000 years ago, Titus, is all about a transformed life. Jesus himself promised that the Holy Spirit would be so powerful and so transformative in our lives that he likened it unto a river of living water flowing out from within us. A beautiful image. But we might say, well, if we believe in the Holy Spirit, why are there times we seem to experience so little of him? Times where we feel as if the Spirit is not present with us, or we don't discern his work in our lives. Some of you have been Christians for many, many years, and you're nodding your head. You're like, I agree with this, but I'm not experiencing it right now. Why is that? Well, there might be many reasons, but I'm just going to propose two reasons. One reason we, at times, don't seem to experience the Spirit's work is because we misunderstand what it is. That's one reason. We misunderstand the work of the Spirit. Let me give you an example. I speak with a lot of Christians who only associate the work of the Holy Spirit with very specific and particular gifts, very particular manifestations of the Spirit. So in the New Testament, we're told that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit and there are certain supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit, like, for example, the gift of tongues. And so some people, they only think that the Spirit is present and at work when they see, let's say, the gift of tongues. And then in any other occasion, in any other season, the Spirit must not be there. And I know some people have even been formed in certain Christian communities to think the only time the Spirit's there is when this particular gift or this manifestation is present. And therefore, what happens, you come into a gathering like this, and you're like, well, I don't see that particular gift, so the Spirit must not be here. That's a misunderstanding of how the Spirit works. So I often, when I speak to someone who says this, I often say, well, the Spirit's at work more often than you think. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you did something wrong? And they might say, well, this morning. I was like, okay. Did you sense any conviction from God? I'm like, oh, yes. It's like, that was the Holy Spirit. They're like, oh, well, in that case, I experience the Spirit all the time because I'm always doing something wrong. So one reason that we don't often sense or experience the work of the Spirit is we misunderstand it. But there's another reason. And I think this particular reason is far more pressing for us. It's an unwillingness to yield to the work of the Spirit. See, many of us, you study your Bible, you know, okay, I know the Spirit does this and the, the Spirit does that, and that's great. You have the information, but you haven't yielded to the Spirit. You're not in step with the Spirit. You're not following the Spirit. It would be like that old show, Dora the Explorer. Anyone, your kids, you ever watch that? Imagine Dora the Explorer, she gets her map and she never leaves a room, right? Boring show, no plot. She's like, I love my map. I'm not going anywhere. See, many of us, we study our Bibles and it describes the work of the Spirit. We're like, yeah, that's great, but nope, not going anywhere. I'm gonna sit in the room with my map. There's this unwillingness to yield to the Holy Spirit. Because here's the truth. Though the Spirit is present in every believer, he is not always preeminent in every heart. And so we need both a greater understanding of the work of the Spirit and a greater willingness to yield to him. 
So we need to understand. So I want to look at the work of the Spirit as described in verses 5 to 7 of Titus chapter 3 under three headings. And the first is this, the purpose of the Spirit. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Christians speak often about the Holy Spirit, but what does he actually do in our lives? Paul says in the middle of verse five, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. I want you to note three key words in this sentence. Washing, rebirth, and renewal. All three of these are variations on a theme. They all describe the work of the Spirit. And it teaches us what can we expect from the work of the Spirit in our lives? Well, we draw our attention to those words. First, the work of the Spirit is cleansing, which is a very apt description for the work of the Spirit, especially in our modern-day culture, where many of us are so aware of and concerned with our, our physical health, you know, what we're around, the chemicals we're around, the, the food that we put in our, our body. You'll often hear uh, talk about toxins. You want to get rid of the toxins in, 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 our, in our body. But the Bible says there's a toxin in your soul, and it is called sin. And no amount of Pilates is going to get it out. <laughs> You need something far greater than that. There's nothing that humans can do to get rid of this spiritual toxin in our souls. To use the analogy of a, of a tree, if the fruit is bitter, then the root is bitter. Many people, they approach their lives with a religious attitude, which is all based on human moral effort. They see bad fruit in their lives, things they see that need to be changed, and they try to change it. They just pluck out the fruit. They try to glue on some other fruit, or they try to decorate the fruit on the outside like it's an apple. Let's put some glitter on it. Like, you know, this rotten apple will look much more pretty when it's the root that needs to be changed. And what Paul is describing here is that the washing of the Holy Spirit cleanses us at the core. He stops the rot at the source. The Holy Spirit applies the finished work of Jesus on the cross to our hearts. And the way in which he does that is by identifying and healing all of the spiritual causes of our problems. Anything less will never cleanse. To give you an example from one of Paul's other letters, when he wrote to a church in the city of Corinth, he describes it like this, using the same imagery. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes on in that passage to name all these different kinds of sin from immorality and jealousy and all these other things. But then he speaks to the church and says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What a beautiful image. You were washed. You were made clean by the Holy Spirit for people who know that we have uncleanness within us and we're trying to, to get the stain out and we never can. 
but by the power of God, we can be washed. Now, what that means, it's a metaphor. What is it a metaphor for? Well, this cleansing means that there is a break with our old sinful patterns. This cleansing work, this washing work, particularly from that passage in 1 Corinthians, some of you were living that way, and now you are no longer living that way. And the metaphor I'm going to use to describe that change is washing. It means a, a break, a clean break with the old sinful patterns. But that leads to the second word that he uses, which is regeneration or rebirth. So we learn that the Spirit's work is cleansing. The Spirit's work is also converting. And this is a powerful word. The Holy Spirit turns your heart to Jesus. The Holy Spirit opens up your heart to Jesus. You see his beauty. You see what the Son of God has done for us. And you trust in him. And so that rebirth or regeneration is the introduction of a brand new life for the sinner. When you turn to Jesus, when the Holy Spirit turns your heart, you are regenerated. Now, here's why that word is absolutely fascinating. The word, the Greek word regeneration is used only one other time. And it is by Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 when he's talking about how the world will one day be made new. In Matthew 19, Jesus talks about when the kingdom will fully come, when God makes all things new. And Jesus uses the phrase, in the new world. That's the word, a regenerated world. Or quite literally, and I love this, a regenesis. But here's the question. Who can live in a regenerated world? Answer, regenerated people people made new. What I find fascinating is that this word regenesis was often used in Greek culture about their longing to see the world remade. Not unlike a lot of the great films we watch or the stories we read about humanity's longing for like, we're going to make this world new. Like, what are we going to do to make this place new? Some of you may recall the epic sci-fi saga Interstellar from many years ago. It's like eight hours long, so if you skipped it, don't worry about it. Unless you're on a long flight, in which case I highly recommend. The plot is basically, Earth is ruined. We got to find a new planet. Got to find somewhere new to live. And so it's all about humanity ascending into space. See, you don't have to do the eight-hour movie. I just told you what it's about. They're trying to find a new home. Like, we've got to reach the stars to find a new home. That's usually how that word was used. Like, what does humanity have to do? What ladder do we need to climb? How do we need to ascend to bring a regenesis to our world? And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, you guys have got it all wrong. Yes, you want a regenesis of the world, but it's not going to be through man ascending. It's going to be through God descending and bringing new life to you. You can never ascend. God descended. He came down into our world to bring about this regeneration, this regenesis of the world, but it begins with a regenesis of the human heart. And it is all because of grace. One day, God will remake the world, but he's bringing that future into the present moment. And that's why the Bible will often refer to a convert as a new creation, like Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthian church. Therefore, 
chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Notice the clean break. Behold, the new has come. The moment that you are converted to Christ, friends, it is just the beginning of the purpose of the Spirit. So it's described as washing, this this cleanness that the Spirit brings into your life as you accept Christ, breaking off the old patterns of sin. It's also described as regeneration, this, this new beginning in your life. And then there is renewal. The washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, the renewal speaks very specifically to the ongoing process of change. So in summary, the Spirit's work is cleansing, converting, and compelling. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life, and he does it continually. Make no mistake, there is an initial conversion, capital C, When you choose to believe in Jesus Christ, you are a convert to Christianity. But make no mistake, day by day, you are continually converted, lowercase c, day by day as God continues to change your life. And practically, you can think of different areas in your life that need converting. And I'm reminded of John Wesley, who was one of the great preachers during a period of time known as the First Great Awakening when one of his friends came to him in excitement and saying, John Wesley, my brother has been converted. But John Wesley, being a very wise man, paused, and without getting too enthusiastic, he wanted to see the fruit of this and asked, that's great news to hear that your brother is converted. But I ask, is his wallet converted? (laughs) He wanted to see evidence of a transformed life. Think this morning, friends, of areas where you need washing. Think of areas in your life where you need converting. You're like, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but there's certain areas in my life, they need to be converted. The way I view money, the way I view my time, the way I view other people, what I do with my my life, what I do with my body, what I do at work, what I do with my talents. It may be that the Holy Spirit wants to identify even today an area of your life that needs converting. But then you might ask, okay, okay, I know that there's work to be done, but but I need power to do it. Well, that's about the renewal. We are initially turned to Christ in conversion, and we are continually turned to Christ in what we call sanctification. And one commentator puts it wonderfully like this. Sanctification is that gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which he delivers the justified sinner from the pollution of sin, renews his whole nature in the image of God, and enables him to perform good works. That is a beautiful summary of the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, practically How do we experience that? Well, it's through a conscious surrender of all that you have and all that you are to God's Spirit. 
asking him to see things the way that he sees them, to do what he is calling you to do, to accept that God, yes, your way is right and it is good. Lead me in that. As we read the word of God and as we pray and ask and depend on the Holy Spirit, he purifies us, cleanses us so that we can see rightly and live rightly. I was reminded of this as an analogy the last few weeks when we've had all this rain. We're like, what is happening? Like, is the world coming to an end? Like when Southern Californians are talking about rain, you know something crazy is going on. Like, how do you know we're in the end time? Water fell from the sky. It doesn't normally happen here. And people from Seattle are like, yeah, it's called March. <laughs> but I was, I was traveling, so I didn't drive my car for a while. And I get in my car and my wipers, you know, I'm, I'm driving in the rain, you know, on the 101. And like, it's like removing the water, but I just can't see. I can't see things clearly. It's hard to know where I'm going. And I'm thinking the problem is with the wipers. I'm like, oh, it's those wipers, they're not good. I'm thinking that it's a problem from the outside, but it wasn't until I stopped to get gas and I examined further that the problem wasn't on the outside. The inside of my windshield was totally dirty. How that happened, I do not know. My wife, you know, she, I, I don't know. Who, who knows? It was dirty. And the, the, so I just, I grabbed the, the, the cleaning solution and the paper towels and I begin to clean and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can see clearly. Now the rain is gone. The, 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 the filth was moved. You, I, it had to be done. The filth was removed and I can now see. But friends, here's the point. What I thought was a problem on the outside was actually a need for cleaning on the inside. It is as we say yes to the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit, we're able to see more clearly what it is that God is calling us to and to learn to say yes to that in prayer with other believers. It's understanding, appreciating, and actioning the word of God. And as we do, our flesh, that is our sinful nature, is identified and it is killed off. The Holy Spirit's work is absolutely instrumental in our inner transformation. And this is an ongoing process. Now, this is important because many Christians, when they think of the Holy Spirit, they might often place the emphasis on one momentary spiritual experience, which may indeed have happened. Maybe you hearken back to a conference that you went to or a prayer meeting you had or a Sunday service that you attended and the Spirit moved mightily and powerfully in that moment and that is awesome. But then weeks and months and years go by and you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit but you keep referring back to that moment. Oh yeah, back in 2004 the Spirit moved. I'm like, cool, what's happening now? Where's the fruit of continually yielding to the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Don't misunderstand me. There are powerful moments where the Spirit might speak to you or maybe you experience this release or this freedom in a profound moment that is incredible. But friends, this is an ongoing process that we must learn to say yes to. Now, many of you say, well, you don't know. You don't know how big of a job my life is. Like, I am a piece of work. And your spouse is like, yep, amen. You're like, you don't understand. I don't know if God's ready for the task. Well, friends, be totally at ease. 
He absolutely is. And that is why we must ask, what is the power of the Spirit? So first, what's the purpose of the Spirit? He converts, he cleanses, he compels us to live. But secondly, we need to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. That there is more than enough power available for you to be absolutely transformed. See, in the Old Testament, God promised that the gift of his Spirit would absolutely change the way that people live from the inside out. And so here, in the language that Paul's using and the pouring out of the Spirit is an echo of what the Old Testament always promised. And it's connected to the previous passage we studied last week. There's been an epic reversal of fortunes for us. Instead of being the recipients of an outpouring of wrath because of our sin, we, through Jesus, are the recipients of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good news? He says in verse 6, whom he poured out on us sparingly. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And if you're of the highlighting inclination, highlight the word poured out and generously. Generously. When you look at what God has called you to do and how he has called you to live, it can feel very overwhelming. But what Paul is emphasizing here in this verse is that with the inbreaking of the Spirit of God, he has supplied us with absolutely everything that we need. And it is connected to our salvation through Jesus Christ, he says. In summary, you are declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And you are empowered to be righteous through the work of the Holy Spirit. And you never have to worry about the supply. God does not skimp. His power does not run out. Many of us, we think of, you know, is he going to run out like it's some kind of like Tesla? You know, like, oh no, the battery's going to run out. I've never driven one. Can't even get into one. Tried the other week. Somebody picked me up. Couldn't open the handle. But it runs on a battery, right? The battery goes out like every 20 minutes. I don't know. And you got to go, you got to find a charging station. Oh no, my eight foot screen no longer works in my Tesla. Like, where can I find the charge? See, many people view the Christian life like that. Like, hey, no doubt, there's some amazing things about the Christian life, but the power's going to run out. It's going to run out. Where can I find the charging station? To what conference can I go? To what podcast can I listen to? To which church service must I go to get a top-up? And Paul's saying, don't you understand? The Holy Spirit has supplied you right here and right now, wherever you are, in whatever situation that you are in, with all the power that you need. And you don't have to worry about this power ever running out. God has given to us his spirit lavishly, richly. And here's what that means. It means that the spirit's power is more than sufficient for every person in every circumstance and in every age. Let me repeat that and I will expound because this is key. This means that the Spirit's power is more than sufficient for every person, every circumstance, 
and every age. I emphasize this because there are times when we doubt. We think, you don't know what I've got going on in my life. But that's why the Bible, when it talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit, it says the Spirit will be poured out on, on everyone, men and women, young and old alike. The Spirit is for everyone, every person, more than sufficient. And in every circumstance, well, I mean, finances are hard, my relational life is hard, I got family drama going on, parenting is hard, marriage is hard, you don't know my work life. Listen, the Spirit's power is more than sufficient for every problem you're facing in your circumstance. Do you know that? And lastly, the Spirit's power is more than sufficient for every age. Yes, that includes 2023. See, there's a temptation to think like, oh, I hear Christians are like, man, it's so dark right now. Like, yeah, the world's crazy. But we talk about it as if it's almost hopeless, as if the Holy Spirit's like, hey, are you going out there? I'm not going out there. <laughs> Do you know what's going on in these United States of America? Holy Spirit's like, I'm out. That's a big job. That's a tall order. Like, you guys are going to have to do this one on your own. Like, are you kidding me? Sometimes we live and act in our attitude as if the Holy Spirit's like, I don't know. Yeah, I was around the first century, second, third, totally. But 21st century, like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I got what it takes. Nothing could be farther from the truth. And so we must not live as if it were. The Spirit's power is more than sufficient for you to live like Christ in this year, in your city, and in and amongst your relationships. He says this to emphasize the fact that we should not fall short on our mission because he never stops supplying the power. He will never run out because the power is present in a person and his name is the Holy Spirit and he's not going anywhere. Listen, let me just put it like this. The power will only be gone when God stops being God and that's never gonna happen so you don't need to worry about running out of power. Can I get an amen? God will never stop being himself. Because if there was one time that you should begin to worry, it's when God is no longer God. He's like, hey guys, I gave it a couple thousand years. It was a good run, but I got nothing left in the tank. You're on your own. Like, yeah, then it, game over. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. His power will never run out. The Spirit's power has been poured out on us generously. You might think, but well, maybe that's for other people. Maybe that's for like that woman or that man or, or those people. Like, how can I be sure that, that this power is made available to me? Well, he makes it very clear at the beginning of verse seven. What is the grounds by which this power can be received? He says at the beginning of verse seven, so that having been justified by grace. It is by grace through Jesus Christ that you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So the change that you need does not come about through your own work, but on the basis of God's grace. Your salvation has its very source in God himself. In fact, little fun theology nugget for you. This whole passage is Trinitarian. When it talks about your salvation, it shows us that the whole Trinity, 
is involved. The Father has planned your salvation. The Son has secured your salvation. And the Spirit applies the finished work of Christ to your life. What does that mean for you? It means you have no reason to give up. Some of you right now, you may have hit a wall in your growth and in your relationships and in general living the Christian life, and I completely understand. You just feel exhausted. You're like, man, it's just like prayer's hard and like my neighbors, like being a witness to them and like whether you're single or married, you know, you might find both of those states difficult, parenting, friendship, work, whatever it might be. You just feel exhausted and there are those moments of temptation I've been there where you're like, I just want to throw in the towel. I just want to give up. I don't feel like I have what it takes. I don't have anything left in the tank. It's a phrase I hear often. But the Holy Spirit would say to me and to every one of you today, don't you dare misunderestimate my power. Don't you dare underestimate what I am able to do. When the Bible describes the work of the Spirit, there are times when the Bible describes it as bringing the dead to life. Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament, has this vision of dry bones, dead carcasses, and yet they come alive. How? By the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead that we're going to celebrate at Easter is the same Spirit at work in you. How much more encouragement can you get than that? You're like, God, I don't know if I can do it. And God's like, hey, can we just talk for a minute? Like, I'm God, you're not. I raised from the dead. So there you go. That's all you need to know. I don't know, Lord. Times are hard. My situation is hard. And the Lord's like, I made the world. (laughs) Right? Anyone ever read the book of Job? It's a long book. But basically, this man suffers. You know, it's just incredible. And he begins to question God. And at the end of the book, God shows up and Job's been arguing against God, and God basically says, like, hey, were you there? Did, did you make animals? No. Did you make the world? No. So just trust me. That's the book of Job in five seconds, basically. <laughs> He's like, were you there? Like, I literally created the world, and you're doubting my power? Are you kidding me? Trust me. Yield to me. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. You have no reason to give up, and you have every reason to press on, because lastly, there is a plan. There's the purpose of the Spirit, cleansing, converting, and compelling. The power of the Spirit made abundantly available to you for every person, in every circumstance, and in every age. And what is the plan? See, the power for this moment is not the fulfillment of the plan. The power you need right now enables you to become who you one day will be, an heir of the promise. It says in verse 7, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. You, if you're a believer in Christ, you are in the process of coming in to an inheritance that has already been promised. That's a beautiful picture. Imagine today in your inbox, you get an email saying, congratulations, you are the heir of $100 million. Now, usually that's spam. You're like, I just got that email last night. Yeah, it's usually not true, but let's imagine it's real, like certified banking. You are the heir of $100 million. 
but you're going to get a million or two or, or more each year, depending on how long you have left to live. You know, each few years, you're going to get deposits of several million along the way as you complete the receiving of that inheritance. Here's what would happen. You would be changed immediately and continually. You'd be changed immediately on the spot. You'd be like, what? I'm an heir of $100 million? This is insane. My life has changed. Because you know where it's headed. You know how it ends. But you would also be changed continually as that money is deposited in your account. That is the picture. It's an imperfect metaphor. But that is the idea behind what Paul is saying. You are changed in a moment and you are continually being changed. But one day you will receive the full inheritance of what God has promised. And make no mistake, God has promised this inheritance. He's put your name on his will. Do you know that's what happened when you became a Christian? God's like, boom, your name is in the book of life. You are an heir in my kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? It means biblically that all the promises that you find made to the people of God becomes your inheritance through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. The future is yours because of what Christ has done in the past. This is his plan, is to make you more and more and more like Jesus until that day when you receive your full inheritance and you are in glory, remade in the presence of God. The question now is will you yield to and rely upon the Holy Spirit in your life today. There will be weaker or stronger evidence of the Spirit in your life depending on whether you say yes to him or no to him. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, we can know close fellowship. But it also means that we can grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. The analogy that always comes to my mind is imagining an endless supply of water coming to your house. And yet you barely open the, the, the spigot on the faucet. And sadly, that is a description of how many Christians live. God's like, I've given you my Holy Spirit abundantly. And we're there at the spigot like... Drip. We're like, oh, that's the, I, I just want a little spirit. I just want a little bit of the Holy Spirit. Just a little drip. I, I got the rat. I just want a drip. That's grieving the spirit. That's quenching the spirit. Friends, are you turning that spigot counterclockwise or clockwise? <laughs> are you tightening it like, oh, I don't know? Or are you just like, man, open it up. The Holy Spirit is saying to all of us as a church, open it up. Receive the Holy Spirit, yield to the Holy Spirit, depend on the Holy Spirit. Some of us are afraid. We're afraid because we, we feel comfortable. You're like, oh, I don't know. If I say yes to the Spirit, who knows what's gonna happen? Listen, here's what's gonna happen. Your selfishness is gonna go, and that's good news for everyone, including yourself. You don't need to be afraid. What's gonna happen if I say yes to the Holy Spirit? Sin is gonna be removed from your life. That's a good thing. 
Self-centeredness will be removed from your life. That's a good thing. And if you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you begin to feel what God feels. That grief over sin, joy over righteousness. You begin to see the world how God sees the world. You begin to desire what he desires, renewal and transformation. And you begin to do what God wants you to do as you live in the power that he has provided. And how does the spirit appeal for this change in your life so that you would say yes? Here's what the spirit does. The Holy Spirit always makes an argument in your heart for Jesus. Whenever you're at a crossroads and you're making a decision about saying yes or no or sinning or or not sinning, the Holy Spirit always argues with you in your heart, pointing to Jesus. He's like, hey. You're like, I don't know, Holy Spirit, what's your reason? He's like, hey, remember Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus Christ has done for you? Do you remember that he gave everything for you? Do you remember that he loves you? Do you remember that he died for all of your sin? Do you remember that he rose again? The Holy Spirit is called the counselor. And what does he do? He points you to Jesus. And when you say yes, there is freedom and there is power. So that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Friends, I invite you to yield to the Spirit today. If he is convicting you of sin, repent. He wants to put courage in your heart. Receive it. He wants to give you power for your circumstances and your situations. Say yes. And the simple way in which we do this is by praying. God, fill me with your spirit. Holy Spirit, come and move. And we have an opportunity to do that even now. So let us pray. Father, the best we know how, we want to say yes to the work of your Holy Spirit. Pointing us to Christ and making us like Christ. I pray first for anyone in this room or joining us online who has never accepted Jesus as Savior, I pray that they would listen to the conviction of the Spirit and say, yes, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin, rose again to give me new life. I believe in you as Savior and Lord. And God, I pray for us as a church that we would say yes to the Holy Spirit that we'd say yes to the conviction, that we would say yes to the comfort, that we'd say yes to the cleansing, that we'd say yes to the converting work of your spirit, and that we would not quench, and that we would not resist. So God, for whatever need we have, I pray that right now, in this moment that we have, that we'd come to you, yield to you, and allow your spirit to work. In Jesus' name, amen.